Good morning, church. Sorry. That's a false start, is what that is. Well, you know, Daniel prayed, an interesting prayer, that God would give me love for you. And I want you to know he has. Can I just say that to you? I love you. I love this church. And I really do. Um, oh, Doris. Oh. Can you speak louder, please? <laughs> you know, this church has a lot of love to give. And um, we're going to have the opportunity to give it to this engaged Ukrainian couple, Ivan and Violetta. Maybe you've already heard that uh, this young couple is joining us. They're arriving in Winnipeg this Wednesday, 8.40 p.m. You're welcome to join the... We, we do have an orga, organizing team here at the church that's taking care of those details. Uh, you're welcome to join them. If you just want to come as they come down the escalator, uh, walk through those doors to celebrate, that would be awesome. Uh, Daniel and I will be in Edmonton for the week. Otherwise, I would have loved to have been there. Uh, and then you need to know that they won't be engaged for long. They're getting married on this very spot in two Saturdays. So um, June 25th at 11 o'clock Saturday morning, they're getting married here, and we're throwing a little reception for them. And so they won't have family and friends that can be here, so we're going to be their family and friends to come around them and to support them. So you are invited if, uh, if you're able to join them here at 11 o'clock uh, on Saturday, June 25th to attend a wedding and to celebrate them and to bless them and to stay for a little dessert reception after that. If you plan to attend, just go to our website and there's an event there you can sign up to attend or call the church office. We'll sign you up. They just want to have a sense of numbers. And the other thing I was asked to mention was at the Resource Center. They're kind of in our church library out in the foyer. There is a sign-up list. They do need a variety of volunteers to help out on that day to kind of pull off this wedding on short notice. And so if you want to hear more about what, what that volunteering looks like, and how you might be able to help out, just head to uh, that um, resource center after the service, and there'll be someone there to, uh, to help you with that. Okay, exciting stuff. Uh, what is insanity? Have you heard that definition of insanity? Insanity is to do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. You've heard that, right? Yeah. And we've all seen insanity before. We've probably all been insane at times. I remember not long ago there was a, um, a, a young kid at the basketball hoop, you know, big regulation at basketball hoop. This young kid had the ball and I was standing there. You want me to help you? No, 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 I can do it. Ugh. It goes like this high off the ground, right? And I'm like, I can help you. I'll lift you. No, 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 I can do it. Ugh. I don't know how many times that kid threw that ball from that exact same spot. There is, it doesn't matter how many times you try, it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen, right? Um, and, you know, we're probably all insane in different ways. Is it possible to be insane in the way that we share the gospel, in the way we share our faith? Doing something over and over again and never seeing a result? Is it possible to be insane? That's kind of our question this morning. Uh, as we continue in our Burning Questions series, you've, you've submitted all sorts of great questions, and we can't address them all, but... Um, this one kind of jumped out to me. A gal in our church submitted this question. Um, how do I know when to stop sharing the gospel? I thought, did I read that right? How do I know when to stop sharing the gospel? And I don't think I've ever heard that question before. I mean, normally the question we might ask is like, when are we going to start sharing the gospel? Not like, when do we stop sharing the gospel? 
And so I kind of stopped and I thought about that. I, I was a little interested in that. I kind of wondered, where might that be coming from in this person's life? Uh, I know this person. I know this is the sort of person that loves to share the gospel. And I can only imagine that maybe, maybe this person might have been talking about like um, a relationship with a wayward child, right, who, who, who she so desperately wants to see walking with the Lord and might again and again kind of try to raise the topic or plead with this person maybe to no avail. Or maybe there's other relationships where someone has been trying to share and has shared maybe over a period of time and nothing has changed. And at what point do you just kind of give up? Maybe it's coming from a, a very personal experience. Maybe that's a, an experience you know. Maybe it's coming from a verse in the Bible. She did add this verse, Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. You'll see it on your screen there. These are the words of Jesus when he says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. And you've maybe read that verse and thought, Jesus, what are you saying? Do not throw what is sacred to pigs. Do not throw your pearl or to dogs. Do not throw your pearls to swine. That's been understood in a whole bunch of different ways. And I worked in a pig barn in Niverville for a while doing electrical work. And I remember like day one, they told me, Rusty, you are not allowed, as company policy, you are not allowed to be in a pig barn by yourself if there's pigs in there. Because if, if you're working on a fixture on the ceiling and you're on a stepladder, they will knock you off that stepladder. They'll bump it. You'll fall down. You'll hit your head. You'll get knocked unconscious. And then they will eat you alive. Because pigs eat everything. I discovered they, either, they even eat the copper clippings. When, when you clip the wire and it falls on the ground, they eat it. And that's your bacon, okay? Full of copper and all other minerals that uh, need. Um, so th this woman was looking at that verse, and, 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 and what does that mean? Does that mean like there's a point where you just stop trying to give somebody something? I think it's maybe a good question then. As we unpack it a little bit, I, I think that there's some layers here that might be helpful for us. And so really in answering that question, I, I want to ask and answer four questions. What is the gospel, number one? Number two, what is your role in sharing the gospel? Number three, how do you do that? How do you share the gospel or how should you share the gospel? And then lastly, how should you stop sharing the gospel or should you? So that's what we're going to look at here this morning. The first question, what is the gospel? Do you know what the gospel is? We hear the word a lot, we know it's a churchy word, we know it's in the Bible, but do you really know what the gospel is? It's really important if, if we're going to share something, we need to have a real clarity on what is the gospel, especially because the gospel is that foundational truth of our faith from which everything else flows. It's what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. You can throw those words up there, Christian. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings everyone uh, that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel brings salvation. That's important. What is the gospel? How would you answer that? Could you, could you be able to give a, a, just a, a clear, concise answer to that question? What is the gospel? One of the ways that I, I kind of formulate it, and, and, and really comes off of probably the, the best known verse in the Bible. You ever heard of John 3.16? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, I did it. Because there are times as a pastor I stumbled halfway through, and I couldn't finish John 3.16, and that's a bad look. That is a bad look for a pastor. But sometimes it's, it's the lights, the pressure. 
You know, that verse, maybe as much as any, encapsulates the gospel. What I see in there is kind of the, the, four, the four things that are true that together comprise the gospel. So I just share it with you, A, so that maybe you have like a clarity. What is the gospel? And, and then, you know, like what, how, how is it that we can go about actually kind of communicating that? So, so in, in that verse, John 3, 16, you really see these four statements, these four things. God loved, God gave, we believe, we receive. This is the gospel. For God so loved the world. God loves, which is to say, God made you and all human beings to know Him and to enjoy Him forever. That's why God made you, to know and enjoy Him forever with Him. And He gave His Son because all of us have turned from our sin, right? We, we were made for this right relationship with God, but each one of us were sinners, Each one of us has turned from God in our sin, and that sin separates us from God. It brings destruction into our life. It brings death into our life. But because of God's love, He gave His Son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, to cancel our debt to God, to to remove that one thing that stood between us and God so that we could be reconciled to God. Jesus did it all on the cross for us, for you. So that if we believe, that is, if we turn from our sin and if we repent of our sins and repent of all our efforts to try to be good enough for God, but trust fully in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done on our behalf, right? if we repent of our sin and put our uh, trust fully in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we will receive that life that God created us to have. We will receive everlasting life we will be restored to that life with God. That's the gospel. Because God loves us, God gave His Son so that if we just believe in Him, we receive this life. That's it. At its essence, it's it's a very straightforward, simple truth yet so profound. That is the gospel. That is the foundation of our faith. So what's your role in sharing that gospel? Now, the word gospel just means good news, right? What is news? News is something that's already happened, right? It's not good advice. Hey, do this. It's good news. Hey, this has happened. It's not something you have to do. It's something you just have to understand happened and receive that truth into your life. What is your role as a follower of Jesus, someone who maybe believes in the gospel, what is your role in sharing the gospel with others? Now, Luke chapter 10, if you didn't already turn there and you have your Bible, you maybe want to turn there and have it on, open on your lap because we're going to keep coming back to different aspects of this interesting story in Luke chapter 10. But we see at the beginning that Jesus sends out his disciples two by two. What does he send them out to do? He sends them out into the countryside, into all the towns and villages to do his work, to do his ministry right, to heal the sick and to proclaim that the kingdom of God has come near to you, he says. In other words, to proclaim the gospel, the good news. He entrusts that to his disciples, his followers, and not just to them, but to us, right, who are his disciples. God has entrusted to each one of us this sacred responsibility to share this message with other people. And we share it with our mouth. That's what he says. Tell them. Tell. That happens with your mouth. Tell them. The kingdom of God has come near. 
you know, sharing the gospel, communicating that truth, as we just described what the gospel is, requires words. You know that? There's no way to do that apart from words. In fact, this, this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verses uh, 13. 13 to 17, he says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And preaching there doesn't mean like what I'm doing Sunday morning on a stage. It means just proclaiming. That's something you do out and about, workplace, family, neighborhood, golf course, school. Right? It just means sharing the gospel. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? For as it, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted that good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? But consequently, Paul says, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. He's talking about hearing and speaking, right? No one, in other words, can climb to the top of a mountain, look around, contemplate life, and come to understand and know the gospel, they can maybe know, man, a God must have made all of this. That couldn't come from nothing. However that started, big bang, whatever, doesn't matter. Something doesn't come from nothing. God must have made all this. Look at the beauty. God is good. God is powerful. You, 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 you can surmise some things about the reality of God, but you cannot know the gospel just by looking at the world. Because the gospel is all about a historical event. Jesus Christ in time and place came into the world and he died on the cross and rose from the dead for our forgiveness. And we can be saved through faith in him and what he has done. And you can only know about that through words. So I grew up, you maybe heard that statement, actions speak louder than words. And I remember growing up singing the song, I won't sing it for you. But uh, as I recall, it was, uh, it was a song sung by Salty. Does anyone remember Salty, the singing hymn book? Anyone? Weren't those the glory days? Here's a picture of Salty. Throw that up there. Can you imagine? We had a, a cartoon of a singing hymnal. Do you think kids today would buy that? I don't think that would fly today at all. Right? First of all, they'd be like, what's a hymnal? You held, the, you held it in your hand? The words? Weird. And then there was a TV show, and there was movies that went with it. Here, here's, uh, here's Salty dressed up. It's terrifying. It was terrifying. Right? And that's what passed for entertainment when I was a kid. So you're, count yourself fortunate, young people. And, and, uh, and then... I was looking at pictures, and then I came across this picture, and I thought, I need, I need to know the story of what happened here. Is this why they canceled it in 1991 because of this incident? Like, Salty just snapped. Everyone has a breaking point, I guess. But anyway, there's a song by Salty called uh, Actions Speak Louder Than Words, and you've certainly heard that statement. And there's a way in which that's true, but there's a way in which that isn't true because there's some things that actions cannot speak. Actions cannot communicate. They cannot speak the truth of the gospel. No one comes to know the gospel about Jesus apart from words. And so we have been entrusted by Jesus to tell, to tell. That is our highest responsibility. And so these 
first disciples, they are sent out on this mission. They go do it. They come back and they report to Jesus. And, and they're just on cloud nine, right, because of what God did through them, like even casting out demons and healing. And then Jesus, he kind of, he kind of corrects their enthusiasm a little bit. In verse 20, he says, okay, guys, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's Jesus' way of saying, the miracle of salvation is the greatest miracle that one can experience. That our names might be written in heaven, that we might have right relationship with God and live with God forever. That is the greatest reality somebody can experience. That is the greatest miracle. Hey, people were healed. Great. Demons were cast out. That's great. What you should really rejoice about is your name is written in heaven as someone who has received the gospel. And so I don't know what you're going through. Like some of you, you got ups and you got downs and maybe you're going through hard stuff and you're, and you're finding it just difficult to find joy in your life. That is where joy is found. Ultimately, this reality that no matter what else is happening, our names through Jesus are written in heaven. My name is in great, whatever that means, whatever that looks like, whether that's metaphorical or not, it doesn't matter. The point is, I have a place there and nothing can separate me from the love of God and the future He has for me through Jesus, through the gospel. It's secure. And Jesus says, that is cause for rejoicing. Why? Because that's the most important need. That's the most important need you have. It's the most important need your neighbor has, your spouse has, your, your kids have, your coworkers, your classmates, the people on the other side of the world. Every person's highest need is to know God and life through His Son, Jesus. That's of ultimate importance. So there's no greater privilege in life than to tell. There's no greater privilege in life than to be a witness of this good news, to bring it to people um, to meet their deepest need. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I should not be ashamed to tell such great news. So there's no greater privilege than to share this good news. And that can feel, I don't know if you feel that way, I don't know if you feel that's so much a privilege or a burden. I mean, you might even believe that command and go, yeah, that's right. Like, I, I can't deny it. I mean, that, that's good. It all makes sense. But man, that feels heavy. That feels daunting. It feels like a huge weight. And I think we need to hear the words of Jesus. Well, it, it, because it feels like this massive responsibility that, that just, I'm going to fail at. I don't think I can do that. I don't think I'm smart enough. I don't think I'm good enough, wise enough. But look what Jesus says. Last verse that was read, Luke 10, 22. Jesus says, No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Now, so Jesus is praising and He says, Ultimately, guys, you go and you tell, but at the end of the day, it's me. I am using my spiritual power to take the blinders off people's eyes off of their hearts to bring about belief. That is the work of Jesus in a person's life, ultimately. That's His work. And so even at the beginning, it says that Jesus sent them out 
two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go, where Jesus was about to go. And I love this. He's not saying, go out and do my work and then come back and tell me what you did for me. He's like, go to all the places that I'm going to go to and prepare the way. Prepare the way. Plant the seeds. I'm right behind you. I'm not telling you to go anywhere. I'm not going. You just go and do what I ask you to do, and I'm coming behind. So they are to prepare the way for Jesus to personally minister to the hearts of people. And so Paul will say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is, it doesn't say it is the power to save for all who believe. He says, it is the power of God to save all who believe. In the gospel, it's God's power. God is the one. It's not your power. It's not your wisdom. It's not your intellect. It is the power of God at work in the minds and the hearts of people when they receive this truth. So all this to say, Christians, we're called to witness. We're not called to win people. We're not called to convince people. We're not called to save people. We're not called to convert people. God alone, but in His power, by His Spirit, He does the work of heart change. We are just called to witness. We are called to tell, to share. So maybe that first question is, when should I stop? And maybe the, probably, probably the more important question, or certainly the, the first question is, like, have I started? Have I started? So that's our role in sharing the gospel. The third question is, okay, well, how do I do that? How should I share the gospel? You know, if conversion is the work of God, like if, if He's going to reveal, if He's going to reveal the truth to those to whom He's going to reveal, then maybe, maybe what I do doesn't even really matter. Maybe the way I do it doesn't even matter. I, my, my sister at Church in Medicine, they, they kind of had this understanding of how that worked. And so my sister, real outreach-minded, and there were all these immigrants moving to the community, and she had a heart for them, and so she wanted to start a ministry in the church, like, hey, we can teach them English, we can do some other things, and then we can also, like, share the love of Jesus and build bridges and relationships. And they said, what a waste of time. Like, just cut to the chase. John 3, 16, boom, this is it, leave it with them, mic drop, walk out. Like, they're going to believe, they're not going to believe. Yes, you left that church. You know, it is true that God is not limited by my ability, you know, my methods, my intellect. But that doesn't mean that the way we go about sharing that truth doesn't matter. It does matter. And we see that in the life of Paul. We see it in the life of Jesus. For instance, Paul will say this, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 9 to, um, or 19 to 22 Paul says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. There's a lot of alls there, right? I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save all. Well, he didn't say all. I might save some. In other words, some are going to believe and some people aren't going to believe. Not everyone will receive. 
the good news is good. But notice what he says there. In other words, you know, if, if they rejected Paul and if they rejected Jesus, the, you know, it, it's not always, you're not always going to be successful either. What is Paul saying? He's not saying, you know, like, I'm, I'm going to manipulate people. I'm going to lie, right? You know, about who I am or... No, what he's saying there is, you've got to share with different people differently. There, there, there is one truth, but that has to be presented to different people in different ways so that they can actually hear, so that they can actually understand, so that they can receive this good news in a way which to them actually looks good, is understandable and relatable. And so when he spoke to this person over here with this background, with these values, with those beliefs, with that worldview, he, he did it this way, but, but to this group, he, he, he talked about a, a different, maybe a different aspect of the gospel, another way in which it was good news to people, but he looked and he studied people, and that made a difference, that mattered to him. We see this in the life of Jesus, too. He handled different people differently. You see it in John chapter 4, right? The woman at the well, maybe you know the story. Jesus comes to the Samaritan woman. He strikes up a conversation. He already knows. He has the insight that you and I don't have. Like, he knows um, he, um, all things. He knows our heart. He knows our past. He knows our future. He knew this woman had been married and divorced five times, and now she was living with a sixth guy she'd given up on marriage, and he raises it. And so he obviously knows, oh, this is a hurting woman. Why would someone be married and divorced five times and now be in a sixth relationship? What are you trying to find in a marriage that cannot be found in a marriage? And you keep trying over and over and over again. So he goes to the heart of the issue. He, he knows what this woman is looking for. That can actually only be found in the gospel, in him. And so he, he talks about the water and he says, listen, this water, you're going to drink it and you're going to thirst again, but I give you water that if you drink it, you will never thirst again. In other words, she's looking for validation and she's trying to find her self-worth and love in all of these relationships that cannot sustain it, that can only be sustained in Jesus. And so she, he speaks in a way that meets her experience and her needs. But then he comes to Zacchaeus, Luke chapter 19. You remember that wee little man, the tax collector? Maybe you know the tax collectors in, in, Jew, in those days, they were hated by the Jews because they worked for the enemy. They worked for the Romans. They, they took money from their countrymen and gave it to the oppressor. Is there any more shameful job? Right? You got rich doing it, but you were an outcast in your community. Everyone hated you. Everyone hated Zacchaeus. And he had to live with his guilt and this shame, being an outsider, and so here he is, Jesus is coming to town. He's a wee little man, so he, he kind of curls up and he's in a tree branch looking down. Jesus comes, he looks up, he knows Zacchaeus. He knows what's going on in his heart. And he says, you must come down, I'm going to eat at your house today. Well, you think anyone else ever ate in Zacchaeus' house? Everyone else, all the other Jews, they looked at him and went, can you believe it? This Jesus is going to eat with sinners? What's wrong with him? Well, Jesus knew exactly what Zacchaeus needed. He knew that he was carrying this guilt and the shame, the sense of rejection, and Jesus was going to do what he needed to do to enter that space to show him what redemption looked like. Because right? Jesus handled different people differently. All that to say, our witness should not be mechanical. It's not just rattling off a script. We need to, yes, be students of the Bible. Yes, we need to know the gospel, but we need to be students of people. 
You know, as parents, you need to be students of your children. And as, as spouses, you need to be a student of your spouse. You need to be students of your neighbors and your coworkers. You need to seek to understand their needs, their problems, their experiences. So like Paul and like Jesus, you can give them this one truth in a way that tastes good, that meets their needs. So I guess the question is, do, do we do that? Do we kind of take the time you know, like, like sometimes it's like, I have to have the answers to all the questions. What if they ask, what if they ask, I don't know about that. Uh, Bible, chapter, verse. Yeah, it's, that's good, but we need to know, we need to, that's a part of loving people, right? We need to study people. We need to consider them, their needs, their experiences, and so that when we share it, we can share it in a way that's not impersonal, that's not separated from their need and their experience, but to speak in ways that they are more apt to hear. It's a Paul meant. I am all things to all people. And not only to, to know their, maybe them and their story, but to share your story. You know, like I, I, I think a part of our, our fear, our worry about telling people the gospel is maybe we just don't feel like theologically sophisticated enough or to answer all the follow-up questions. But you know what the Bible calls us more often than anything else? He calls us witnesses. He calls us to be witnesses to the gospel. What is a witness? Anyone been watching the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial? Eight hours a day? I know some of you have been. Come on, you're just... Yeah, I wouldn't admit that. Witness after witness comes on the stage. What does a witness do? A witness, they just share what they have experienced what they have heard, what they have seen. They're just relaying, right? We're called to be witnesses. What we have, seen, what we have experienced in our life, like what, what, the difference that the gospel has made to me, and if you were to really think of all the goodness that comes into our life with the gospel, you would feel sheet after sheet after sheet of paper, just writing all the good things that are true because of the gospel. We're called to be witnesses. It doesn't mean having all the answers. It means sharing your experience and commending that to another. That's just how we should share. In that personal way. So how should we stop sharing? Should we stop sharing? It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 7, there's a time for everything under the sun, a time to be silent and a time to speak. Is that true, too, with telling the gospel? There's a time to be silent and there's a time to speak. Is that what Jesus means in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, when he says, do not give to dogs what is sacred, and do not cast your pearl before swine? They'll just trample it and then they'll turn and tear you up. What did that mean? It means something, but there's some things it doesn't mean, and I think that verse has often been misunderstood. And, and the pearl there, that which is sacred, I mean, that's the gospel. Right? Jesus, elsewhere in the Gospel of Matthew, he talks about the pearl of great price is, is, is the gospel, the message of the kingdom. So, so what, there's nothing more sacred, more valuable than this truth, the message of the gospel. Right? So who are the dogs and pigs? 
that we are not supposed to give it to? Is it, is it just like, is it unbelievers? You know, like they, which wouldn't really make any sense, but, but you know, in their day, dogs and pigs, well, they, they were the Gentiles. They were people outside the family of God, outside the covenant. They wouldn't share with them. Well, maybe just Jesus is just talking because those are the derogatory words they used for the pagans. But we know in Jesus' ministry, he shared himself and he shared the kingdom with those people. That can't be what it means. It can't mean that we're to prejudge what type of person will receive and what type of person will not receive. But we have a habit of doing that, I think. Right? We look at a person and we analyze them and we go, oh, no, they would never. Not them. Not that, not that sort of person. Biker? Partier? Rich? No. But here's the thing about the gospel and the way the gospel works. There's no type of person that responds to the gospel. There's no one type. Right? God saves all types of people. He reveals himself to all types of people. Right? Men, women, young, old, rich, poor, blue-collar, white-collar, black, white, Heterosexual, homosexual, are there other categories I'm missing? There is no type of person that responds to the gospel. So we, we can't prejudge. In fact, Jesus, that's what he got flack for, right? He would go and he would and he would go to a home and he would commiserate with tax collectors and prostitutes. And then he would go and he would do the same with Pharisees. Like he was indiscriminate in who he shared himself and his good news with. So we're, we, we, we can't prejudge who might respond in what way because the gospel doesn't work that way. The gospel is for all people and it finds success with all types of people. Well, maybe he's talking about people that they hear and then they just don't believe or they hear a second time and they're still skeptical, they're cynical, and they doubt but he's not talking about that either. How many of you wouldn't be here right now if someone stopped trying to share the gospel with you after one attempt? Any that wouldn't be here? If it was like a one and done sort of scenario? No, Jesus isn't saying, he's not saying to his disciples, guys, don't be persistent. Don't be persevering. Don't keep sharing, you know, wisely and tactfully, like, hey, just give to him, and if nothing happens, like, you know, put the dust off of your shoe, like they said there, and just say a pox on you. What does that mean anyway? Shake the dust off of your shoe? Well, you have to understand, like, in, in that culture, when they were coming to that town, hospitality was the highest virtue. I know it isn't now. We don't know our neighbors' names, right? Our home is our castle. I mean, hospitality, to not receive someone into your community, your house was the biggest was the biggest rejection, right? It, it was an act of hostility. So, so when these people are coming to these towns and doing this work, they're essentially being driven out. They're receiving hostility. And so when, when might it be time to like be silent? Well, the Bible suggests maybe there is a time to be silent. Maybe, maybe there's a time to stop. And maybe that's when people respond in... Uh, with, with anger and hostility towards the message or towards the one who shares it. In, in fact, this happens three times in the book of Acts 
where, where Paul actually stops. And he goes somewhere, and in each case it says, those who were hearing him heaped abuse on him, maligned, maligned the message, maligned him, and uh, were obstinate and angry. Right? So, they abused. And we have a picture. It's people that were exasperated. They were exasperated by this message. Right? And, and, and Paul kind of discerned, for me to continue to press this, for me to continue to talk, is not, is not going to win you. It's just going to keep pushing you the other way. It's going to exasperate you. And you know, the Bible says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. And what does it mean to exasperate? It means to ir- irritate or frustrate intensely. And he says, at times, if the gospel is to exasperate people, do not keep pushing. Do not keep pushing, or we might say, shoving it down people's throat, even though it elicits anger and hostility, and they tell you to stop. Jesus says, there's a time. Stop, because keeping persisting becomes pestering. And pestering starts to push people away from the gospel and, and the ability to see the goodness in the gospel. So there does come a time when you need to speak, but then in speaking, maybe to stop. This happens in Jesus' life. Luke chapter 23, we won't go into the details, but before Herod and the high priests, they want to question him. And Herod wants Jesus to do all this work, these miracles, not because he's interested. He doesn't, he's not a seeker of truth, but Jesus will not give any answers because he knows their heart. And of course, we don't know people's hearts. We have to be discerning. We never stop telling. We never stop sharing out of anger or spite. No. We never close the door on another. But if someone closes the door on us or closes the door on the message, Paul says and Jesus says, Don't beat it down. Don't beat it down. Guilt and pressure are not productive ways to share or show the goodness of the good news. There is a time to be silent. And and that takes a lot of discernment. Some of you, you're in situations like that where it's maybe a wayward child. And, and you just so desperately, I mean, you want them to be following the Lord, be believing in the gospel, and, and you share and you talk, and that's good, and so you should, but it might be that in some relationship you come to the point where continuing that only pushes further away, and it's time to be silent, not to stop. And maybe I'll just kind of close with these three thoughts here. We're never supposed to stop. We just change. To be silent isn't necessarily to stop. There's three things that we need to know that God uses. God uses other people. You know, God, this is the good news. God doesn't just work in you, through you, through your words. Was it, was it Elijah or was it Elisha in the Old Testament? Right? He was so despondent. I am the only prophet of the Lord left. Woe is me. It's all over. And he says, God says, give your head a shake. There's thousands others. You're not the only one. 
And I, th- I think this is what Jesus is, is doing when he sends them out two by two, right? He's saying, doing my work is communal. He doesn't send them out one by one. Rusty, you go there. Jim, you go there. Susan, you go there. He sends them out two by two. He's trying to say, like, this work of sharing is a communal effort. And Paul will say it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He'll say, some plant, some people water, some people harvest, but God causes it to grow. Different people play different roles at different times to produce the result. God has more than just you. And sometimes we just need to trust that, that it's not all on me. God can use other people when I have to stop. I find that encouraging. God uses others. This is a communal effort. The second thing God uses is God uses our lives. There's a way in which our actions um, are not louder than words, but there, are, there is a way in which our lives speak. You know, our, our life, the way we live, our attitudes, our actions, it can't communicate the gospel. It can't tell anyone that there's a man named Jesus, Son of God, died on the cross, rose from the dead for the forgiveness of your sins, so that if you believe in him, you can be forgiven and have eternal life. Like, no amount of being a good neighbor is going to say that. It might cause them to go, what's with Jim? There's something in Jim. There's something really good in Jim. There's some, yeah, I'm talking about you. I see Jim smiling right there. I'm talking about Jim Campbell, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I think that would be true of you. <clears throat> and and, and Mike, the way we live speaks to it. It either adds credibility or it takes away credibility from the gospel. So there are times maybe when our words need to stop, but our, but our lives don't. Our actions need to do that talking. To say that, hey, this message, this is true. This is good. This makes a difference. Our lives say a lot. And so Paul would say in Titus chapter 2, verses 10. You can throw it up there, Christian. Uh, he'll, he's talking to how slaves are to relate to masters, Christian slaves, to their kind of unbelieving masters. He says, hey, don't steal from them. Show that you can be fully trusted so that in every way they, the, the, the slaves, will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Right? We have the ability through the way that we live, through our attitudes, to make the gospel attractive. Not, not to make it more beautiful than it is. It's, it's beautiful. All, it, the word there is adorn. We don't usually, usually use the word adorn. It's, it, it's like a word like really dangly, shiny earrings that catch people's eye. You're walking by, and then there's something shiny, and you look, and you see these earrings. And when you see the earrings, it draws you to the beauty of the face. And the gospel's the face. We don't, we're not makeup trying to make the gospel prettier than it is. You know, we're, we're the jewelry that draw, our lives are the jewelry that draws people's attraction to the beauty that is inherent in the gospel, the goodness in that. God uses our lives to show that, and he, and, and he does the same, you know, with husbands and wives. And so Peter will say in 1 Peter chapter 3, in talking to wives who are believers but who have unbelieving husbands, it says, if any, um, if any of these husbands do not believe the word of their wife, in other words, the word of the gospel, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of their lives. He's saying, if words didn't work, they may be won over without words when they look at the life and, 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 and maybe recognize the beauty in it that causes them to take a second look and go, what, what causes this? 
What causes this? What leads to that sort of goodness in life? God uses our lives to preach, to support, I should say, to support the truth of the gospel. So there are times when maybe we have to close our mouths and just let our lives support the words that have been said. And maybe they will ask in time, why? Like it says in 1 Peter, a little bit later in that chapter, chapter 3, when he says, be ready, Christians. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you when you're asked. Hey, Rusty, why aren't you worried? Like you're in that situation, I'm t- you don't seem to be worried. How come you're not worried about losing your job? All these layoffs. Well, I'll tell you I'm not worried. God uses our lives. The third thing, the final thing that I want to share that God uses, even when we need to be silent, is um, He uses prayer. There are times maybe to stop talking to others, stop telling, but but there's, there's never a time to stop talking to God. Stop asking of God. Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus says, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out his harvesters. Like, that's weird, okay? You ever thought of that? We got some farmers here, don't we? There's Bernie and a few others. If someone comes to you, you gangs there, That'd be like you saying to your employees, would you come ask me to send you out to do, to do your work? Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. He, what he's saying is, would you ask me to send you? Why do I need that? If, if, if you're the Lord of the harvest and you know it needs to be done, why don't you just do it? Why do you need to be asked? This is an example of what you see in the scriptures is that God ordains prayer to accomplish his will. God ordains prayer to accomplish his will. Which is why we need to be persistent in praying. You know, even if there's a time when we can't say much more to someone else, we can always pray and ask God, God, would you? God, would you? God, would you? God, would you break into that person's life? My neighbor, so-and-so, Bob, would you, God, would you just, would, would you just show yourself to Bob? My, my wayward son. What's another name? Maximilian. It's the only one that came to mind. I hope there's not a Maximilian here. Max, Lord, would you just, Lord, I just said, I don't know what else to say. Like, I think I've said all I can say you just need to break into his life, God. God, would you? Other people may tire of hearing the good news, but God never tires of hearing our requests. And he never shuts the door. And for me, I find this encouraging. You know, it, when he says, just ask, ask, keep asking, be persistent. I accomplish what I do, and I use your prayer to do that. That's how I choose to work, God says. What that means is, you know what, maybe the first time, or maybe the second time, or maybe the third time, nothing happens. But with God, it's not insane to keep asking, because a day may come where something changes. 
It might that be that 256th time you lift that person before the Lord. Something changes. So never stop talking to God. Never stop asking of God for salvation, for faith in the lives of those around you who you want to see know the life that you know. So in other words, just because someone said no to you doesn't mean that's the end of it. I mean, for goodness sakes, Paul, Paul. I love the fact that God chose Paul. Why did God choose Paul? Why did he choose the murderer of Christians to deliver deliver this message? Because it's a message, right? It's like Paul was the dog, kind of. Paul was the swine, right? He was hostile. He was there. He killed the very, the very first Christian killed for their faith was at the hands of Paul. But God still reached out to him and revealed himself to him. Right? When somebody says no, that is not the end of the story. We need to be persistent in asking God. So maybe I'll close with that question to you. Are you being persistent in prayer for somebody or some people who you maybe have shared the gospel with, are looking for an opportunity to share the good news with? Are you praying for somebody that they might be saved? Who? And for how long? Let's do what we can do. Let's share where we can. Let's be good stewards of this responsibility that God has given to us. And when we find closed doors, let's keep praying. I want to invite you into a moment of prayer as the team comes up to lead us in one final song. If you just want to bow your head, and and I'm going to give you some prayer prompts here. Will you take a moment, church, to thank God? Thank God for the gospel. Thank God for this reality, for His love that sent His Son into the world to bring you into a reconciled relationship with with Him through faith. That is good news. Just take a moment and just in your heart, just rejoice in that. Jesus said, rejoice that your name is written in heaven. That's the greatest joy. So if that's you, if you've put your faith in Jesus, if you've received that gift, just rejoice in that. Take a moment to thank Him. Maybe you're here this morning and you're someone who's been living life their own way. You have not repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you and given your life to him. But maybe today you want to turn your life to God and you can do that today. You can do that today. Right after the service, we have people in our prayer room, our fireside room, that if you want someone to help you, kind of take that step in giving your life to God, um, they would be happy to help help you with that. You can go there after the service.
Take a moment to thank God. And then take another moment, just commit yourself to that task again. Say, God, today, I I just, I pick it up again. I pick up this responsibility that you have given to me to tell, to share the good news. God, give me the courage. Help me to do that. Just express that to God today, that that you want to be faithful in that task. And then lastly, take a moment and just invite God to lay on your mind those that he would want you to try to influence towards him, who he would want you to share this good news with. And and maybe it's already on your mind. Maybe it's a child, someone in the family, a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, but just like ask God, God, who? Who is it that you want me to share this good news with? And then just pray for that person. Pray daily and ask God for opportunity to share. And keep praying. God, We love you so much. Do we love him, church? Do you love him? We love you, God, because of what you have done for us. You have not given us good advice about how to live. You've given us good news of what you've done for us, what what belongs to us through your son, Jesus, through faith in him. All these spiritual blessings that are ours today and tomorrow and Friday and for all eternity. We're just so blessed. Lord, I just pray that that would be the source of our joy, no matter what else is going on in our life. Lord, may we find our joy there. May that make all the difference. Lord, may we be those who are just committed and inspired to go from here back into our world, into our spheres of influences. Lord, to be faithful, um, to share, to tell, in the ways that we can, Lord, to recognize opportunities and have courage to take opportunities to speak for you, to share our own stories of the difference you've, you've made in our lives, or just trusting that you will work in us as we are faithful witnesses in the world, God. And just lay on our hearts, Lord, who it is that, um, that we can do that with, Lord. Just guide our steps and guide our relationships. And use us, Father, to maybe lead others into that life that we enjoy today. So we just, as your people, we, are, we commit ourselves to you, God. Use us for that purpose. Use us for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And together as one church, we say, amen.